I want to tell you, every December growing up in Zimbabwe, my parents had the same problem that a lot of parents around the world have, what to do with the kids in the long summer holidays. They were still at work. They had to find things for us to do. And after a few weeks, the friends uh, were not returning the phone calls anymore. The, the sports events were, st- were finding, coming to a halt. So they started to look around at the different religious facilities that had holiday programs on. And those very quickly became few and far between until we were at the very end. They did not know what to do with a highly ADHD, red-headed little boy who needed some energy to get, to be, get got rid of in the summer months. So they found the very traditional church, the last one that was open before Christmas, that would have the vacation Bible school. And they dropped us off and said, we'll see you at the end of the day. Please don't judge them. They're just parents after all. But I remember that time we arrived there and just, just felt, we felt like, at odds with this place. We just weren't, it didn't feel natural for us. The, the form, the function, the, the symbolism, the ritual just seemed very uh, different to what we grew up with. Very traditional. Nothing wrong with it, but just out of our natural rhythm. And my cousin and I felt a little bit constrained by this arrangement. So we thought, how do we spice this week up a little bit? So we used our pocket money and went and purchased what uh, would, would be the mother load for all kids under the age of 13, something called stink bombs. And I remember distinctively, we planned this, we prepped it, we slipped into the pew at the back of the one morning, and we were giggling, we knew things were about to go down. They were getting into the third chorus of the the song that was a rousing rendition of a Christmas carol, and at that right moment, we thought this was the time. We dropped the stink bombs, and we smiled at each other, and we just waited for that smell to seep through the auditorium. And you saw a few conversations, you saw a few... Faces start to turn to the left, to the right. What was this? And people checking the kids at the front as somebody had a nasty accident until they realized something had gone, uh, smelling a foul at the back. And we thought this was hilarious, seeing heads turn, people not happy with the situation. We thought this was the most brilliant thing we had done. And we thought we had gotten away with it until just at the right moment, we felt these two big hands on each shoulders say, come with me, and dragged us out of the auditorium into a side room called the vestry. I didn't even know what a vestry was. I used to wear a vestry under my jersey in winter, but I didn't understand this, and I pulled in there, and I remember this, the, 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 the furor in the person's face, the anger, the zenith, religious zealous, uh, 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 zenith in their face. They looked at us, and tears coming down, they said, you shouldn't even be here. They knew that we didn't fit in, and then they said to us the words that will haunt me forever. They said, sting bombs, not in the house of God. And I don't know why that story came to mind at this particular Christmas, so just a little heads up, if anyone has stink bombs, still not appropriate, not appropriate for tonight. But I remember those words because they've they've marked me a little bit in this journey. And I wanted to tell you tonight, maybe you're here and you feel like something's a little bit at odds with this environment, or even with the words we sing on screen. Maybe outwardly, it looks like it all, all is calm, all is bright, but inwardly your world is churning. And you're feeling, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. You're saying, I shouldn't be here in debt again. Another year has gone by. I had the plan, but I'm still in the debt. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be in another romantic relationship that's gone into chaos. I shouldn't be here again. I'm I'm a father. I shouldn't be responding like that again. I'm a mother. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be here again. Maybe, actually, you're here, and you're feeling very uncomfortable in church, and you're going, I shouldn't be here in church the stuff that I know, forget what, what, what happened last summer. Let me tell you what happened over the last few weeks. This has been a chaotic time. Maybe you're saying those words, I shouldn't be here. Well, I want to tell you, when it comes to Christmas, you are in good company. The Christmas story dawns in a place that you'll never imagine, a place that you wouldn't see the Christmas story going. It shouldn't be there that takes place, 
but it does. It starts in a little village called Nazareth. A 50 to 100 person max population, a little town called Nazareth, that literally means, when translated, the word separated. It was the poof udder of our time. It was that one, one, one horse town out there, by and by, no one would stop, did nothing to grab the attention of a nation or a watching world, but it's in that environment that the Christmas story comes and announces the good news. The Christmas story, Nazareth, shouldn't be here. shouldn't be here. And actually, as you start to read and unfold this Christmas narrative that we've come to know and love and see as the announcement of our Savior and His birth, the book of Matthew starts listing in Matthew chapter 1 a whole genealogy of Christ and basically tracing who was invited. Forget about the place, Nazareth. Let me tell you about the people that this Christmas story shouldn't be about. We start in Matthew chapter 1. It starts telling us about Jesus' genealogy. He was the, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham, but he says, but he starts tracing, saying, Jesus was born from the line of Abraham, and he starts to tell us this, rela- this reality. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And before we go on, on a cursory glance, I understand those first three names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I get those names. Abraham, father of our faith. He had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham. I get him. Isaac, son of promise. Yep, I get that guy. He should, he should be on the list. Jacob who later, the artist who later who was formerly known as Jacob, who changed his name to Israel and became the father of the nation, literally birthing the sons. Judah was one of those sons, one of the tribes of Israel. I get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. But that's when things start to go a little bit murky. As we keep reading, we read on the next verse, you start to see in this reality, we find the this, this story starts to get a little bit crazy because Matthew starts to list all these men, but he gets to some junctions, critical junctions in the story of the people that would lead the line of Jesus, and he doesn't know what to do with them. There is, in particular, there's four women. And he doesn't know what to do with these women, because firstly, genealogies would usually be just all male. Secondly, three of the four women are Gentiles, shouldn't be in a Jewish genealogy. And thirdly, three of the four have sexually dubious pasts, and they should not be in the lineage of Jesus. So much so, so that Matthew puts them in brackets. It's just like that awkward conversation, that awkward relation. I don't know what to do with those people, so I'm just going to put them in brackets so they're not quite in, they're not quite out, because in a sense, Matthew's saying, they shouldn't be here. I don't know what to do with them. The first one we see is this reality of this lady called Tamar, this one that doesn't fit in, doesn't fit in the lineup. The, the, the emphasis of somebody who comes into the story, and her story, she's the original black widow. Forget Avengers. This is the black widow. Every person she married died. Genesis 38. First, she married the first son. He died. The father gave her the next son. He died. And the father said, actually, I'm going to hold back the third one for a while. I'm just a little bit nervous. And this was the, her reality. She, all the, the, the sons died. Everyone she married died. She did not have a child. So what she did was her next relationship is that she started dressed up and deceived herself and dressed herself in a sexually alluring way, deceived her father-in-law, Judah, who then had a marital relations, and they had two children, Perez and Zerah. And this is the crazy reality. This woman who was denied justice, denied her children, but had to go in deceitful means. Tamar, this biblical story of Tamar having death, having deceit, sleeping with her father-in-law, having two children out of that relationship, is in the lineage of Jesus. It shouldn't be here. Not in the house of God. Surely not. Just put it in the brackets. We keep reading the next bracket. Matthew doesn't know what to do. Is a lady called Rahab. And Rahab was a citizen of a city called Jericho. And Jericho's fame in the Bible is that the whole city fell down and was destroyed. 
and everyone in Jericho was supposed to be killed, annihilated. Only one person escaped, a Jericho native named Rahab, who we told her profession was she was the lady of the night. That's what she did. And this crazy narrative of Rahab finds its way, weaves its way into the story, this narrative of Christmas, because she assists some Jewish people, some Israelites, in finding victory. She helps him, puts a thread out the window, a scarlet thread, and, and she, she, she is spared, and the narrative, and lets him into safe passage. And somehow Rahab, with this, this dubious past, gets weaved in, and actually, as you keep reading, she makes a couple uh, appearances in the rest of the Bible. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, she's in the hall of faith saying Rahab the prostitute was commended for her faith. But when you read in Matthew, Matthew doesn't know what to do with her, so he just says, Rahab, the, the grandmother in the story, he puts her in brackets. I don't know what to quite do with her. She shouldn't be here. Rahab. We find the next one is Ruth, and Ruth is somebody who's called a Moabite. And the Moabites found their backstory, where they start is their great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was a man named Lot, Abraham's nephew. And they, their lineage started with a journey called incest. <laughs> Welcome to church, everybody. <laughs> this is church on Christmas Eve. You, know, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> this is crazy. Their narrative starts with, with daughters sleeping with the father and the line coming out of that. Deuteronomy saying that Jewish people would be forbidden to marry Moabites. Forbidden. And then Ruth steps into a story in a man named Boaz. And we find Boaz, his lineage comes. His mother or great, his grandmother was the lady Rahab, the prostitute. And Boaz comes and he steps into the story and redeems Ruth and marries her and drags her into the lineage of Jesus. She shouldn't be there. What, what, what do we do with her? Then we see the fourth bracket is the next story of a lady called Bathsheba. And then the text will tell us David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now, don't be fooled. There's even more chaos behind that little line, the widow of Uriah. It's, it's like a, a, the, a more crazy than a Netflix true crime drama. It's just you don't know what's coming next. It's like Kardashians on steroids. <laughs> David sees Bathsheba, commits adultery with her, while her husband Uriah is fighting on the front lines on behalf of King David. She falls pregnant. Then David doesn't know what to do with this, so he calls Jerry Springer. No, I'm just joking. But he, he needs to do something drastic. So he says, actually, to cover my tracks, I'm going to try and get Uriah to come and sleep with his wife so that maybe he will not know whose kid it is. Uriah is a man of integrity, so he refuses to sleep with his wife while he's on duty. So David freaks out and does what only he can think of next is to have him killed. So this story has adultery. It has a, a childbirth and infidelity. It has murder. So when we see this bracket, this bracket is actually much worse than even first lesson. Shouldn't be here. Bathsheba should not be in the line of Jesus, not in the house of God. But then there's a fifth bracket, not of a woman, but of a season. The fifth and final bracket is this one. The next one goes to it. There we go. It says, nope, nope, the next one. Further. Yeah, there we go. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim, good name for Christmas, and his brothers, born at the time of the exile to Babylon. Another bracket that Matthew doesn't know what to do with, because the exile in Babylon, was a time of great shame, a stain on the history of, of Israel, because there were people who were, were supposed to fight, a people who had the promises of God, but it, because of their wickedness and depravity, God had handed them over to a foreign power, an idolatrous nation called Babylon, and they'd gone into captivity for, for centuries. And this is the reality of this, but the line of Jesus keeps going, keeps weaving its way through, through, through adultery, through brokenness, through fornication, through lying, through cheating, all the way through. It shouldn't be here, but it is. 
And I start to realize in this narrative, sometimes for us, these brackets represent the parts of our lives, the parts of our story that we wish we could just control, alt, delete. The parts we wish we could forget. Very deep. Wipe clean. They're not supposed to be here. And maybe what we do is we nurse and we rehearse. We neaten up our brackets like the Bathsheba one. We try and use euphemisms to call something that wasn't as if it was that. Call a different season that and try and forget that moment. But that bracket is like a trailer that we can never get unhitched from. It follows us everywhere. But then we get to the good news. In Luke chapter 3 verse 23, Luke's version of the genealogy of Christ doesn't start with Abraham. It starts with Jesus himself and works his way backwards. And Jesus' genealogy says this. Jesus was the son in brackets as was supposed, or another translation says, so it was thought of Joseph. Because Joseph adopted Jesus into his family. Because of the virgin immaculate conception, the virgin birth, for you can imagine Luke doesn't know what to do. He's a doctor, and he doesn't know what to do with this narrative of an adoptive reality. So there's all this, this murkiness around Jesus' lineage, and how does it work? So in brackets, we don't know what to do with this. So it was thought. That awkward conversation, we're not too sure what to do with it. But what I love about this genealogy is this first, the murkiness of the starting point. And as you read on, all the chaos that was to come, the brackets of chaos and depravity and debauchery to come in Jesus' genealogy. The very verse preceding Luke chapter 3 verse 23 is Jesus' baptism where the Father God speaks over him and says this, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. The very next verse says, and Jesus was the son of Joseph, so it was thought. And I love in that moment, we find the declaration of a father saying, no matter your genealogy, no matter the backstory, no matter the weight of the brokenness of the brackets you're carrying, where you're from, where you're going, let me tell you in this moment, the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. The voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. I believe too many of us have let the voice of the defects of our genealogy, what has happened to us, what we've done, the brackets of our shame, have had the loudest voice. But I want to remind us, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the, the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. And it says that one angel appeared to bring them the good news and said, don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy. And then in verse 13 of that chapter, in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, when he's narrating the word, this, this birth of Christ coming to the world, it says, all of a sudden, a vast array, a horde of angels appeared. The armies of heaven joined in. And, I, and I, my imagination starts to think, there's one angel on assignment to come and tell the good news. But all the other angels are so excited, they're like looking, saying, we want to get in on this action. This good news of man become, God becoming man. God, can we go? Can we go? And God goes, ah, oh, come on. It's Christmas. You guys go for it. And it says, all the angels appeared and said, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to all men. It's just this wonderful cacophony of noise, angelic beings arraying, filling the sky. And if you picture that scene, on the other side of the bracket, we've got another scene, Jesus on the cross. And when you see Jesus on the cross, I can imagine the angels watching this scene of the man, Jesus Christ, going to the cross as the crowds are baying for his blood. They started to say, I can imagine him saying, he, he, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be in that situation. Father, can we go? The father's saying, no, wait. And then he's, the angels are watching. They're saying, they saw the whipping of Jesus. And they said, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be there. Can, can we go? The father says, no, no, no. They saw the nails go into the hands. And he says, 
He shouldn't be there. The angel's like, we, this, this king of glory should not be there. They saw the crown of thorns go on his head. They saw the nails in the hands, the scars. They saw the blood start to flow out. They saw the thieves on left and right of him. They say, he shouldn't be there on a place called Golgotha, the skull. He should not be there. Father, God, should we go? Let us know. Can we go? And the father said, no. No, no, no. And as they saw every bracket of sin and shame piled upon him, as he became the very sin of the world, the light of the world slain in darkness. I can imagine the angel saying, he shouldn't be there. And the father was silent. Because why? This is the reality for you and me. The brackets of Jesus' story was at the very beginning, bloody, he came out of virgin womb. And at the very end, bloody, he went into a virgin tomb. The brackets of his story, not neat and tidy, not in, in joy and euphoria, but actually in the mess and the brokenness of our humanity's sin. Now I want to tell you tonight, would you allow the brackets of Jesus' blood to envelop the brackets of your shame? He embraced the brackets of our dysfunction so that we can be set free from them. I declare this Christmas, He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is the God of Judah. But He's also the God of Tamar. He's the God of Rahab. He's the God of Bathsheba. He's the God of Ruth. He's God of the exile. He's the God of the dropout, the left out, the forgotten about. He's the God of the confused and the abused. He's the God of the disappointed, depraved, disqualified, and the discarded. And I tell you tonight, as we sit in this overheating environment, as we are ready for Christmas, and we're navigating the highs and lows of our life, I tell you right now, there's another voice that's shouting over your life. The enemy's voice is shouting over your life right now and saying, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here on the precipice of making right with God. You shouldn't be here. You've done too much. The enemy is saying you shouldn't be here on the edge of receiving his forgiveness. You shouldn't be here on the edge of receiving his healing, God's breakthrough for your life. You shouldn't be here on the edge of being set free from the trailer you've carried for generations. He's saying you, should, you shouldn't even be alive. I should have killed you a long time ago. I'm here to tell you, a fired up, overheating redhead to plead with you and say if you still have breath, he is not finished with you yet. He is not done with you yet. I say it again, the voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. Tonight, I declare the Father is shouting over the voice of the enemy, over the voice of your past, over the voice of your disqualification. The Father is saying, mine, mine, mine. I want in on those brackets. I want in on that shame. I want to redeem you from that sin. Can we stand to our feet? I want to pray for us this Christmas. A verse of scripture that I felt burning in my heart for this evening is not very Christmassy. And yet when I read it again and again, I realized it's very Christmassy. It's the very heart of what God wants to do. 1 John 3 verse 8 says, The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I'll say one more time. The Son of Man, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. He did not come just to be a baby in a manger. He did not come just to be a religious symbol. He didn't come to just be a side issue, a Sunday habit, an add-on. He did not come just to be a bracket in your story, a little addition on the side. No, no, no. He said, I am the main event. I want in because I want to be the one that defines everything. Your good days, your bad days, your broken days, your joyful days, the days of sorrow, the days of weeping, the day of rejoicing and celebrating. He says, I will define it all. This is who Jesus is. And I want to invite you to surrender your brackets to him whatever you've been carrying around with you, 
Shame from a week ago. Shame from one conversation. Shame from generations. Shame of your own sin and addiction. I shouldn't be here. But the Father says, no, I've arranged all of eternity for you to be in this moment right now. To hear my voice. Maybe the enemy is saying right now, you shouldn't be here. It's a room full of sinners. And I kind of agree with him. This is a room full of sinners. Right? I look left to right. I look at myself. A room full of sinners. We shouldn't be here. But more than that, he probably shouldn't be here. Jesus shouldn't be in this room full of sinners, surely. But he is here. Why? Because of Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And he's here not to drag you out and say you shouldn't be here. He's not here to put arms on your shoulders and say not in the house of God. He's not here to drag you away from your future. Actually, he's here to do the very opposite. To redeem, to restore, to reconcile, to reignite you back to the very heartbeat of the Father. Let's close our eyes this moment. Right now, I thank you, Jesus. For every heart here, would you awaken us to the beauty of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas, the reconciliation of the Father to His sons and daughters. And I thank you right now, Father. We surrender our brackets. We surrender our shame, our sin, our depravity, where we have fallen short, where we have given up, where we have nothing left to give. I thank you right now, Father God, would you rescue and redeem. I pray for those people who hang on by a thread and say, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even be here. But God, I thank you. You're saying, but you are. And I've orchestrated it so that you can find me. Find me to be the joy of your soul. Find me to be the peace of your soul. Find me to be the righteousness that you require. I thank you, Jesus. I say it one more time. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that sons of men might become the sons of God. Can we lift our hands right now to this King? We're going to worship Him as we land together tonight. Lift your hands high. Surrender. Surrender your brackets. Surrender your weaknesses. Surrender the year that was. Let's surrender to His King of kings. And let's praise Him one more time this evening.